Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast, where we explore the adventures, perspectives, and philosophies of world travelers. I am your host, Lee Thornquist, and thank you for listening. Real quick, before I introduce today's guest, if you've listened to past episodes or if you enjoy this one, please subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts, either through the app on your iPhone or iTunes on your computer. Well, people, this is an incredible conversation, and I am extremely excited to share it with you. On today's episode, I talk with Elisa Kurilowitz, who is currently the founder of the blog and podcast, Elisa Unfiltered, Living Life Out Loud. On these platforms, Elisa shares life experiences and issues she's faced, along with inspirational stories from her own discoveries and of stories of others, basically to help and connect with people who feel stuck in their lives and want to make a shift. She helps people live their best life and learn how to make good decisions for their unique situation. She says you don't need to take over the world, you just need to find inner peace within you, and the world is yours. Now, the reason that these areas are her focus of the blog and podcast, I think will make a little bit more sense in a moment when you learn more about her story. And Elisa's story is pretty insane and unbelievable with what she's gone through and the directions her life has taken and how she has overcome adversity. And I don't want to spoil too much, but at kind of a high level, Elisa skied on the World Cup Tour for the Canadian Freestyle Mogul Team for eight years. And her dream for pretty much as long as she could remember was to be an Olympian. She traveled all over the world uh, in order to ski, even during high school and after, and she spent 11 years of her life in hotels. Now in 2006, she narrowly, just barely, 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 missed qualifying for the Olympics, which shattered her Olympic dream and her identity, which subsequently sent her into depression, and she picked up some unhealthy habits and gained 85 pounds in a year. I'm happy to say that this is not where the story ends, because she realized the dark place she was in, knew she needed help, and was determined to change her life around. So over the following years, along with a lot of hard work and other techniques that we will get into into the conversation, Elisa turned her life around and started anew. She lost the weight she had put on. She unlearned beliefs and habits that were not serving her. She learned how to talk to herself in a more loving and worthy way and not let fear or her comfort zone determine her life. Elisa has started over at square one many times. She's changed her story and lived in a way aligned with her essence as opposed to ego. And she'll explain what this actually means. Some of the other things that we talk about include Elisa's path to becoming an elite skier for the Canadian freestyle team and what her life looked like during this time, how she narrowly missed the qualifications in 2006 for the Olympics and the ensuing hard turn that her life took, creating an identity around being a skier and what happened when this was instantly stripped away, how to develop awareness and consciousness 
and discover your true essence and live in a way aligned with this, identifying your ego and trying to disassociate from it, and finally, high vibration in yourself and other people and what the term high vibration even means. You can find full show notes and links to the things we reference at edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP25. That's the numbers 25. You can also watch our conversation in the video on the blog post or on Edge of Comfort's YouTube page. And also make sure to check out Elisa on Instagram at Elisa Currylowitz. That's Elisa, E-L-I-S-A, Currylowitz. K-U-R-Y-L-O-W-I-C-Z. You can also find her blog and podcast information at elisaunfiltered.com. Finally, make sure to stick around at the end for the question of the episode. Thank you so much to Elisa for being just so open and vulnerable and sharing her story. Thank you for listening, and let's go. Good morning. What's all the commotion? Wow. Are banana fish big? Same, same, but different. If I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast with your host, Lee Thornquist. Elisa, it's great to have you on here. Thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is so cool. Yeah, when I uh, was searching for some people who maybe had some connections with Julian and mm-hmm. uh, saw you interviewed him as well and listened to that conversation and I actually listened to it before even interviewing him. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this is someone who uh, I think I'd like to get in touch with at some point. So glad we could make this happen. Yeah, me too. I, I had a, yeah, I love that conversation with Julian and I'm so glad that you reached out and uh sent me that little clip. I listened to it right away. It was amazing. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of different things I want to talk about with you today. You have a pretty unique and interesting story and um, you talk about this a lot on your own blog and your podcast. So definitely want to get into that a bit as well. Um, But I think maybe the best place to start would just be kind of from the beginning. Um, and I don't know what exactly that is for you. I think based on what I kind of know in research, maybe start with a skiing and um, you were on the World Cup tour for the Canadian ski team for like eight years, I believe. And so yeah. can you just tell me a little bit more about how you got into skiing and got onto the World Cup team for Canada yeah. and kind of some of this experience? Yeah, for sure. Um Well, I guess if we start at the beginning, when I was very young, I wanted to be an Olympian. Um, I kind of knew that right away. I I basically, um, I was super competitive. Like at two years old, I was competing with my siblings and my friends. Like (laughs) it's just kind of in my nature. Um, But I was most competitive with myself. And I actually, my parents uh, put me into gymnastics at a very young age. And I um, moved up the ranks in gymnastics very quickly um, and made the competitive team when I was like six or seven, which is like 
kind of tracking for Olympics. Uh, however, I'm the least flexible human being on the planet. And, uh, so my, my dreams of becoming Olymp an Olympic gymnast basically shattered, were shattered at like the age of like nine or 10 <laughs> because I just was not flexible enough. So, um, I did work so hard at that and it was basically like my dreams were completely crushed. Um, all the while I, I did, um, I came from a ski family, like my family had a chalet up at Mont Tremblant, which is in Quebec in Canada, and we would go there every single weekend. Me and my brother would rip around the mountain. We were avid skiers, and when my parents actually divorced and we got the rid of the, our, our chalet, our cottage up there, um, my mom felt so bad for me and my brother because we were like these little rippers on the mountain, and she didn't really know what to do. But our neighbor um, had four kids and all four of them were in the freestyle team at a local mountain in Ottawa. Like I live in Ottawa, um, Ontario, Canada. And so my mom just kind of threw me in that program. I think I was like 13 or 14. Uh, I knew people because I knew my neighbors. It wasn't like super foreign. And um with my skiing background and my gymnastics background, freestyle skiing just sort of fit super well. And I really excelled. I really excelled in that program. So basically, uh, from like age 13, 14 to 17, 18. So for, fast forward four years, I had already made the national development team. So I was 17 and I was, I, I got my very first team Canada jacket. So, um, it was a really fast, um, progression for me, but again, like I did have such a strong background in acrobatics and in skiing that, and my competitive nature just kind of like skyrocketed me up to the top. So that's kind of how I got into freestyle. Um, I guess me, um, transitioning into full-time world cup and, you know, world cup gold medalist is, um, sort of a product of really a really good coaching system and a really good um, and and a lot of discipline on my side. I mean, skiing was my passion. I I just I completely and it it took over my entire life. So like it affected my high school. I mean, I was traveling the world when I was like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So I I basically finished uh, school via correspondence. But when I was going through high school, like I graduated in 1999, there wasn't like the accessibility of correspondence like there is now. Like the internet was still like dial up. Like we <laughs> didn't have Wi-Fi. There was no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so um, so it was a bit challenging there, but I just dedicated like my entire life to to being the best mogul skier I could be. Yeah, it was in my nature. So how what is the schedule like for that? I mean, just as in like trying to be an Olympic athlete at that young of an age and with school, are you even there during the week? Are you like you said, you're going off and traveling the world. Are you somewhere mm -hmm. else every weekend for a new event? Like what was your schedule like for that? It's a really good question. So in Canada, uh, they do things a little bit differently than in America. America, there's a lot of like, um, like, um, like set programs or like you ski for a mountain. So you live and train near a mountain. I know Vale has a, has a freestyle 
in the West and like Stratton in the East. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, clubs that um, form in America, but in Canada, you, you kind of, you do have a, a local club, but that's at a very low level regional level. So as you climb up the ranks, there's no like training facility that you move to, to, to go to school. Like there's no academies. I think you guys, I think Americans call them like ski academies. We don't really have yeah. that at all. So it makes it very, very difficult. Essentially what the freestyle teams do is uh, provincially and above is they chase the snow all year round. So you're traveling to where there's snow. Now in Canada, we're really fortunate because Whistler Blackcomb has um, spring and summer skiing. I think they're opened all the way until like basically August 1st. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. And then um, September, Oct uh, excuse me, August, September, October. Um, uh, now the team goes down to Australia. We go over to Europe you're just kind of chasing the snow all around the world and training. Um, so what would, what happened to me, my schedule was that I would basically, I would basically tell my teachers as far in advance as I could when I was leaving and they would try and give me homework so I could do that while I was on the road. And then when I came home for like even one day or five days, whatever it was, I would like cram in as much, work as possible and catch up as much as possible and then get a whole bunch of more homework to take on the road again. So, um, I basically miss about between 45 and 60 days per semester in high school all wow. the way through. It was a lot. Uh, how do you, how do you even care about high school almost at that point? Like, you know, it's like I'm skiing around the world. Like I don't care about this yeah. homework or this test. Like, you know what? Or is it more of like pressure from parents to do well in that? Yeah. Or okay, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. So my dad basically told me if I didn't have, um, if I wasn't an honor roll student, then he wouldn't support me through my through my skiing. Um, so that's what I did. I I made high school a priority, and you know what? I I did really well in high school. I mean, I I was very disciplined. I guess there's a lot of high performance athletes that have this commonality where you know, when you're focused on something, you just do it, you find the discipline, you know, that it takes a certain je ne sais quoi to, to be <laughs> the top of the top. And like, I don't mean to sound vain or anything saying this, but I definitely had those qualities and I definitely knew it and I took advantage of it. So I busted my ass and I, it was, it fueled my fire as well. Like, more, the more pressure in, in a lot of cases, the better, you know, like, you know, like those students that like wait and they wait and they wait till like the last second to do their essays or to study for exams. And then they cram, cram, cram. Yeah. That was, that was still me. Like I did that, but I needed that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Get, that that pressure is, is something you kind of almost see in elite athletes as well like you always hear about a team like oh they always play better when their backs against the wall or yes yes is like so how did you identify that in yourself and like what is that just something you thought you were born with is that just such a rare type thing honestly I I'm not sure I had I had identified it in myself at the time like when I was living it when you're when I was in it I just knew that I had to get the job done and I I would 
I would often, I would fail sometimes. I wouldn't perform my best in competition. I would fail tests. That was very rare, but I, it did happen. Um, and I, I was the type of person that would try to learn from my mistakes and not force blame onto anyone else. Like I did take responsibility for myself in a lot of those, um, you know, in a lot of those circumstances and those cases, uh, it was, it was towards the end of my career as an athlete. And when I transitioned into coaching, so following my, my ski career, I did get into high performance coaching. That's when my mind sort of shifted and I could see the, as I was studying athletes and working with them, I could see what kind of athlete I was and how I tracked. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so I, when did you, can you like walk me through once you were on the team and I know you were trying to qualify for the Olympics and you missed that yeah. cut and that yeah. like getting to that point of your athleticism and in the sport and then failing to reach something that you've basically re like worked your whole young life to do. Yeah. Yes, of course. So, um, I was tracking for the 2006 Torino Olympics and, um, going into that qualifying year. So essentially the way team Canada worked at the time, I know things have changed a little bit since then, um, is they were sending four female skiers and you needed to, they used, uh, four results from world cup over a selected period of time. So there was like, I think 10 world cups or something or eight, eight to 10 world cups that were, that you could take your top four results in. Okay. Okay. And so as I was coming into that season, I was actually ranked second. I was ranked second in Canada. Um, and not sitting cozy. I wasn't thinking that I'm cozy here. I knew that we had, I don't know, like I think there was like five or six World Cups left within that qualifying period that I could get bumped. I knew I needed some more results. I, my four results weren't great. I had two great ones and two really bad ones. So um, anyways, I... I, um, I guess I, what happened was the first event of that season, um, I messed up. I qualified second in the semifinals. I qualified in second place going into finals. I was the second to last girl to, to do the course cause they do the reverse order um, I felt really, really great. But when I landed the bottom jump, so freestyle skiing is too, um, is like moguls with two jumps um, and you have to do um, acrobat, like you, you do flips and spins on the jumps and land back in the moguls. Uh, it's timed um, as well. I, I landed the second jump super confidently, but my like ski sort of dipped into the snow and it was like a snow snake grabbed my ski. It just kind of hooked an edge and I veered off into another lane. I didn't fall, but it cost me. So I ended up in 12th place, which was the the bottom of the, the field. So the top 12 go to finals. I was second going into finals. And then after that mistake, I ended up in 12th, which is not a great result to qualify for the Olympics. So I was like, Oh crap. It just kind of set the tone for the year. I was like, anything can happen. I've been training so hard. I'm so good. But that was such a little, a little mistake that really like I held on to it. And I felt the weight of that mistake 
the the rest of the qualifying um, period. So I was doing okay. I mean, I was getting, you know, top tens. I think I was seventh and then eighth in, in Lake Placid. Um, I don't actually remember all the World Cups going in, but um, there was other girls that were getting podiums and top fives. So I bumped down to third and then I bumped down to fourth with one event left and it was in Madonna it it was in Italy and um I was a disaster I was a wreck <laughs> like at this point my parents had bought Olympic tickets they had their flights uh same with the friends because the Olympics was in like 14 days from that time or like 12 days and uh I had my accreditation for the Olympics we had been like doing all the media training we were I was an Olympian but I needed one more result. And, um, and I actually was standing in the gate and I, I could hear the starter say three, two, one, go. And I felt this sort of like calmness over my body, just like, okay, this is, it was kind of like a YOLO, a feeling of like YOLO, like just, <laughs> just do it. And I, and I, and I pushed out and I actually had, the best ski run that I have had on that course. And I know that when I ski my best, that I'm going to be ranked like fairly well. Like I'm going to, I'm putting myself in the position to be successful. And that's what happened. So I crossed the finish line and I just remember like being so excited and like, I let out like a huge sigh of relief, like thinking like, yes, I just, I'm going to the Olympics. Um, however, freestyle skiing is a judged sport and the judges didn't feel the same way as I did, which at this point in my life, it's fine. I, I, I had a really hard time swallowing that one. Um, all I needed was a top 12 to go to the Olympics at that point, And I was uh, 13th. So one position changed my whole life direction and I didn't go. So so following that, um, that wasn't even the worst part. Well, it was, it, that was the worst part. The, the second worst part was I, uh, I went back to my room and, uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just, I needed to like sit with this for a bit. I didn't know how to like tell my mom, even though she was watching, like she, she was watching online. She knew, um, I, I actually started watching these, I started watching Seinfeld episodes. I had these like Seinfeld DVDs and I was like, I just need to like escape and, and laugh or something. Um, and so <laughs> I get a knock on my door. I'm watching Seinfeld. I get a knock on my door and it's my coach. And he says to me, you need to pack up your stuff right now because you need to go to the airport and leave. And I was like, what do you mean I need to leave and he said, well, anyone that's not an Olympian has to get out of the complex because we don't want to bring the mood down for all the people going to the Olympics. So you need to leave now. And Holy I was like, shit. yeah. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So he literally like watched me pack my stuff. There was a bus waiting for us in the front. We were like herded out like in this like secret like corridor and uh, I never saw my teammates. I never could congratulate them face to face. 
for, because honestly, I was actually proud of my teammates for going. This had nothing to do with them. I did take responsibility for myself, even in that time of like pain, but like they, they, they wanted to give me a hug. Like they are my friends. Like it was just this very awkward thing. So I ended up getting on this bus and I'm on this bus and I'm like, I don't have a flight home. I don't have a plane ticket. Like, what am I going to do? So we ended up getting dropped off at the Milan airport at 3 a.m. And it's not even open at that point. So we were just sitting there. There was some, there was a bunch, there was several other um, national team athletes that didn't go to the Olympics that were on that bus with me. However, they knew they weren't going. I was like the only person that had a chance that missed it. Okay. So, um, so we all, they all had flights already booked. So they had their, they were, it was just really bad timing that they, we had to leave and drive on a bus through the night. So at five o'clock when they opened the door, I went up to the ticket agent and I basically told her my story. I'm like, I need to get back to Ottawa as soon as possible. And she's like, okay, we, we, we like figured out our flights and it was, it was like $2,300 for a one way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's my credit card. And I still have that paper ticket actually. It's like this weird memento that like just kind of, yeah, it was like, I was in such disbelief and shock and I got home and I never skied professionally again. I never competed again. So how old were you when this happened? Um, this, ha- I was 25. Okay. 25 so, yeah. but, so coach is just, your team yes. just, just so cold like that. Just, yes. you need to leave. Yes. They like abandoned me, abandoned me. It was intense. Like, and I actually didn't hear from my coaches for four weeks. So there was like a two week, uh, actually it was like five weeks almost because there was two weeks of like pre-Olympic training. And then there was two weeks of the Olympics. Um, yeah. And then, uh, the Japan world cups that followed the Olympic games, I wasn't on the roster and my coach actually called me and was like, why aren't you coming here? And I was like, well, and I kind of just told him that I was done. I didn't, want to ski anymore and I I just had such a sour taste in my mouth with my own self as well as like the lack of support from the association because you give a lot to the association as well it's not just it is an individual sport but you like I'm skiing for Canada I was super loyal to the program and to the coaches and everything that they did for me I didn't take for granted I like was very grateful for that but I just I really felt abandoned and uh it it was like kind of like the nail on the coffin to end my ski career. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I have to plug in my laptop real quick. Um, so, so then, what's next for you? I know you talk about a little bit in your um, in your podcast on your blog, like your whole life. You know, you've built the, up this identity around yeah. being a professional skier. You know, this is your dream since you were a little girl, and and now yeah. suddenly like that, it's just like, hey, this isn't just was it literally just that like one day you're like I'm gonna be a skier and the next just like holy shit now what am I that's exactly right so that was sort of the start of this downward spiral um it was like the snowball effect and the ball was rolling I I definitely lost my identity I and I 
I've heard of this happening to people, but I, I'd never experienced it myself until then. Like I, I identified myself so strongly with being an Olympian that when it was gone, I felt like I was useless. I was, there was no point to living really. There was no point to life if I wasn't that, um, it was a really, really dark place to be. Um, I, I spent the, the following, like I, it was almost three months, um, in my room. I didn't go outside. I barely saw the sun. Um, I drank, I started drinking alcohol. I started punishing myself in very various ways, punishing my body, punishing my mind. I was, um, treating people in my life super poorly. I was, uh, stressing out my body, gaining weight rapidly in the first year post competition. I gained 85 pounds, um, which is a lot. I don't know what's that in kilos. It's gotta be like 40 kilos or something. Um, it's, it was, I didn't even know that was happening to me. I was in such a deep, dark space that I didn't even recognize that I was doing this. I just needed to numb myself. And I kept saying I had things under control and everything was fine, but it was like the furthest away from that. (laughs) I was so not fine. Um, but I couldn't deal with it. So there, like in all, in all areas of grief and all areas of loss, when you, when you experience loss, there is sort of these stages that you go through. Um, you can call it a 12 steps of grieving or whatever it is, or, um, it's, I was going through all of those, but I wasn't dealing with them. I was pushing them under the rug. I was numbing myself. I was drunk basically every single day. I would drink like, this is disgusting, but I would drink like four to eight, like Smirnoff ice, you know, those like coolers. Yeah. Yeah. They're super high in alcohol too. I was like literally drunk all the time. I like destroyed my stomach. I started getting, um, I developed irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I, was like throwing up. I was, it was so bad. My skin, my hair, my nails, everything was disgusting. I started smoking cigarettes, um, drugs, alcohol, like all the things it was, it was like, I went from this like elite world cup gold medalist to literally this overweight, super unhealthy person. It, uh, it just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why, because you do hear a lot about, not a lot, but hear about sometimes people do turn to drugs and alcohol and Mm -hmm. just treating themselves like shit when something's not going well in their life. Why do you think that is? Why do so many people turn to that? Well, it's a coping. For me, it was totally a coping mechanism. When you're drunk, you don't feel the pain as real as it is. I didn't. I was in a position in my life where I hated myself so much and I was so lost that I couldn't live inside this body as it is. I needed to like change the way my body felt so that I could feel normal or like cope with it or not think about it or whatever. So it was really interesting. In the time though, I didn't know that was happening. These are all findings and learnings that I've discovered since I've sort of snapped out of that whole thing. In the process of that, I did, I was dating someone and uh, we decided to get married. 
um, that was another that contributed to like the darkness because he was a not a, a nice person. He was uh, I was essentially in an abusive relationship. Uh, but I was abusing myself so deeply that I didn't even recognize that he was abusing me as well. Like it was kind of a give and take um, thing. Like I I treated myself just as poorly as he treated me. So I, I felt that his drama and his attention was actually love. Um, but in reality, it was just putting me stuffing my essence in the hole <laughs> deeper into the hole. Um, so I mean, there was the, this is what happened. Essentially I was living in a, I was living in hell. I hated my job. I hated my body. I treated myself like shit. My self dialogue was toxic. Um, I hung out with toxic people. I started surrounding myself with people that wanted to drink all the time and behave like me and that said like screw it when it came to looking at athletes who didn't want to go to the gym like I started collecting my people because they were you know strengthening this failure that I was carrying on my shoulders okay and in the process, my husband and I, my ex-husband and I were getting into so much debt. Like you don't even want to know. It's disgusting. Um, I had all this stress. I, my hair started falling out. I was so stressed. Um, that, uh, and, and honestly, this is what happened. This is what happened. One day <laughs> I looked, I, I woke up in the morning and I looked in the mirror. Am I allowed to swear? I yeah, think I've already sw- I think yeah. I already did swear. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I looked at myself in the mirror and I couldn't recognize I didn't recognize the face staring back at me at all. I I looked at the person in the mirror and I said, Elisa, what the fuck are you doing? And like a little tiny voice inside of me said, I need help. I need help. And I, I had this, it was like, I call it my egg timer moment. It was literally like a ting. And I like snapped out of it. I like snapped out of that deep, dark hole. And I was like, I need help. What the hell am I doing? This isn't me. Who is that person looking at me? I didn't like, this is not my destiny. I need to make a huge change. So I didn't know what the hell, I don't know how the heck to do that. That was um, my first sort of challenge. However, I did know that there was a few things that had to go. A, my husband, gone. And B, I needed to start to stop drinking. I needed to clean up my act. And doing those two things were very difficult. When you're in a relationship, when you own a house, when you have all the things, like, Getting a divorce was a very challenging time for me, but I knew it so deep inside that this is what I needed to do, that I didn't feel any guilt about it. I didn't have those, um, I don't know, it just, it felt right all the way deep into my bones. Like I, it had to happen. I moved in with my mom and I stopped drinking. Um, in fact, I stopped drinking for a year. Um, and in that time span, um, I also discovered 
how to treat my body right. So I started eating. Uh, I made, I started eating, I cut out a whole bunch of foods and I just started eating a super strict diet. And at the time, like now there's a lot of fat, there are, there's been a lot of fad diets throughout the years. Um, but I guess with the, with social media and with, uh, the accessibility of the internet, like 10 years ago, we didn't really know who was doing what diet and how they were doing it and what they're eating. And like Instagram didn't even really exist. (laughs) It was like, you know, in you know, like Insta food, everyone was taking pictures of their food at the very beginning and like showing what they're eating. It wasn't really like that. I just kind of made up my own diet. And basically I cut out dairy, gluten, sugar, any processed foods, caffeine, alcohol. Uh, I think that's it. But that like, I was eating fresh, real whole foods. I would cook. Um, and I lost a buttload of weight. <laughs> I lost all the weight I, and, and more. Like my body is completely different now than it was when I was competing. I was way more muscular back then and sort of like, you know, I was training hard in the gym, lifting a lot of weights. I was like a fine-tuned machine. But now I have an adult body and I feel very good inside of my skin. Uh, I learned, I taught myself how to eat properly and how to get back into movement and into fitness that feels good in my body. I hated going to the gym and lifting weights and doing squats and doing all the uh, stuff for Team Canada that I did, but I did it because I wanted to win. Now, when I went back to that, I was like, I don't really like this. What can I do that brings me joy and can help me stay disciplined with my fitness? And I found running. So running I started running long distances I started running short distances long distances whatever for speed for pleasure for meditation for all these different reasons um and uh so with the running with the eating and uh and you know living with my mom as a 30 year old I uh I really (laughs) I really started to find myself actually that's where it's so like to take uh, like usually when people are overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that like you just had to learn about and do eating right yeah. taking out processed foods and sugar and all that information like that's yeah. that's a lot to take on at once it seems like and it seems like you really yeah. did kind of at, pretty quickly you're like okay everything needs to change and I'm going to do this and you do hear about people who do that and then they get overwhelmed and revert back to their old ways. Why do yeah. you think you were able to like stay strong and not revert back to this way and and kind of have a success story with this and completely change your life? Yeah, so I think one of the things you just said was stay strong. So at first, that was sort of my motivation was to stay strong. And then I started to discover, and this is something that I, I, this is one of the reasons why I started my podcast was to start showing and, and expressing this sort of line of thought is that I, I was always trying to cope with things. I was always trying to cope with my decisions and what, with what happened and, um, how my life sort of turned out. But I realized that the coping was kind of a mask in itself. Like learning coping strategies is great to get you from point A to B, but to keep you going, for me, what I discovered 
was that I needed to heal those wounds. So yes, I coped with it, but then I had to let it go and, and, and heal that part and, and honestly give those little, um, give those demons that live inside of me some compassion and some self love. And I was just like flooding myself with compassion and love and, you know, forgiving myself. (laughs) And I know that sounds, it's easy to say. Um, It did take a lot of time and there was a lot of stop and go with it. So because healing happens in layers. So the superficial layers are easier to heal than the deeper ones. And it's interesting how these lessons present themselves differently. Um, but it's the same lesson as you, you live through life. Do you have any like examples of what was like a superficial one versus a deeper one mm-hmm. for you? And Yeah. So um, like in my relationships, for example, um, I... Um, I grew up with a a dad who was very rough. He was very tough on me. He demanded a lot of things. Um, and, uh, he's the one that sort of told me, taught me at a young age that, um, that drama is, um, a sign of love in a relationship. Um, so, so in my marriage, for example, I mean, Every single person in the entire world could see that me and my ex-husband were not compatible and we were unhappy. Like we weren't kidding anybody, um, including ourselves. And so when I learned that lesson, it was like, okay, so this is what it looks like. This is what abuse looks like. This is what someone who I should not be with looks like. And this is how they treat me. Okay. So that's the superficial level. Like that's the first, that's round one of the lesson. We'll put that one on the shelf. And round two is you meet another guy who's super handsome, he's successful, and then, but you, I was attracted to him because of, I don't know, because of the wounds in me, like, I, the reasons I was attracted to him were the same as, um, as my ex-husband. So he started to maybe abuse me a little bit less, he was still very nice, but he started acting and, uh, you know, it was like the, where are you? And, the, um, always on your phone, sneaking away, like those types of common behaviors that I saw as normal in relationship a, now I'm thinking to myself, okay, wait a second, this isn't normal. I can deny it and pretend it's not happening, or I can learn from this and start asking questions and treating myself with respect because this person's obviously not. So do you, do you know that maybe that's a bad example? I don't know. Um, but well, I guess. Yeah. So if I'm understanding correctly, you are, you're, uh, I don't know, actually, I'm trying to think yeah. like, I, I feel like I understand what you're saying, but I don't know if I can communicate it correctly. I know that's where I'm having <laughs> kind of an issue too. So like essentially when it comes to relationships with men, I was dating the same person. They just looked like a different pack. It was just a different package. Okay. And it presented itself as the same person over time. Okay. Until I started to like, I've, I learned somewhere that, um, we 
accept the same abuse from others to which we give ourselves. Okay. So when I was in that very abusive relationship at the beginning, it was, I was putting up with it because that was what I knew. That was my comfort zone. So as I started to heal myself and flood myself with that self-love, my respect for myself and my level of tolerance for abuse increased. Right. So I, I could start identifying when I was being abused by other people, not just relationships. We're talking about like family members even, or friends, like in this process of coming out of the hole and healing my own wounds, I actually disconnected from a lot of people in my life, uh, girlfriends, boyfriends, family. Um, so eventually when I was, I could see when someone was loving me authentically or unconditionally as opposed to with all the conditions that I used to put up with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like, it's sim- I forget the phrase you just said, but similarly, like, you accept the love you think you deserve, pretty much. Yes, okay. exactly. Yes, so in the process of healing, I was filling my my own cup. I didn't need anyone else to fill my cup for me, and I just, it, it just became this... Um, this really interesting transition for me. So I, I used to have the most aggressive self-talk. Now I know there's a lot of people possibly listening that can, this would resonate with them. So I would do something like drop a, I would knock a glass off the table by accident and would smash on the floor. And I'd be like, Elisa, you fucking idiot. You're such an idiot. Like why the fuck? fuck, that's what I would say to myself in my brain. Okay. And now if I knocked something off the table, I would say something like, oops. (laughs) Okay. There's like two very different ways you can treat yourself with the same action. There's like, Oh, I made a mistake. Oopsie. And you're a fucking idiot. You know, like that's, that's, this is where I lived for so many years in that, in that, in that hole. Did that, was that prevalent during your athletic career as well? Mm, in, in like in that my, self-talk, or that harsh, <laughs> that harsh self-talk. It was developing. It was definitely in its uh, development there. Um, possibly the reason for me choking in the end when it came to qualifying for the Olympic games. Um, I only started to identify it actually, I started to identify it more and more working with athletes as a coach. So I, as I started, uh, well, getting higher up the ranks and coaching at a higher level within Canada, um, you know, I'm watching these athletes, these young men and women, 14, 15 years old, committing their lives to the sport that I had once commit my life to, and I still committed to, uh, and I, and I would see them go through the same patterns in their own ways. And I made it sort of a, a, I made sort of a pact to myself that I didn't want to just be the best technical coach in the world or in Canada. I wanted to, I wanted to breed, raise and culture the best people in Canada and have them and give them skills that they can use to make good decisions on their own. So that's the p- missing piece that I never had. I, 
always looked to the support of my association, help me with this. I don't know what I'm doing. I never was given skills to like make my own decisions. I just kind of like followed the herd, like the cattle, you know what I mean? Like I just was on the train to the Olympics or whatever. And I, I had my blinders on and, um, and I, and I think that that's a, a, a big missing piece when we're, when we're looking at, at adolescence and, and teaching them skills to make good decisions <laughs> for themselves. And when they make bad decisions, not necessarily to punish them, but to help them learn from that. And, and so that they know when they're making a bad decision, they know it's bad and that's, they have to live with the responsibility of that, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, so now from this, you know, you fucking idiot, Elisa self-talk to oops, I spilled <laughs> the glass. How did you make this change in your mind? Because that, ne- that really harsh self-talk, I imagine that's pretty ingrained in most of us and is pretty mm-hmm. difficult to completely change essentially the wiring of our brain. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a long road and I didn't do it alone. That's for sure. So, uh, one of my main teachers, her name is Adele Stratton. Uh, I reference her as Yoda all the time in my blog and on on uh, my podcast uh, because she is an energy worker. She actually uses the force <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, she helped me to start to hear the voice in the first place. So it's impossible to change your self-talk if you don't hear it or understand that it exists. Like we're conditioned as a, as a society um, to believe that we are the voice in our heads. And Adele started to bring this new perspective into my life that helped me to create some space between my essence and my spirit and the, the life force inside of me and the voice in my head. So there was a bit of space there. That's kind of how it started. So she actually asked me a couple of um, sim- simple questions that were extremely difficult to execute. And the questions were, well, what she wanted me to do was in a journal, start to write down my thoughts. So um, what I say to myself about myself. And I was actually like, okay, fine, whatever, I'll do it. I was kind of like one of those people like, oh, this is stupid, I'm gonna do it, whatever. And then as I started actually doing it, I was blown away, I was shocked with what I was coming up with. It's like, you're a fat pig, you're disgusting, you're a loser, no one's going to love you. Like all of these things, I was like writing them down like, wow, I just heard myself say that. And I didn't know how to change the voice at the time. I just knew that, oh my God, I it's there. <laughs> it's mean. <laughs> I am so mean to myself. Um, so... So that was a really interesting um, project for me, which I actually, I did for six months. Journaling um, your the self-talk? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. It took a really, really long time for me to be able to um, really accept. I was in such denial. It took me a long time to accept this. Um, and I started to understand that those thoughts were actually my ego. I started to understand what the ego is versus the body versus the spirit, um, and how all three of those identities, if you will, or entities live within us. 
um, or are part of us. Um, so the next phase with my work with Adele was she asked me to write down my beliefs. So there were my beliefs about religion, about, um, uh, love, about relationships, about everything. So I would start sort of understanding where these thoughts were coming from. Cause you think stuff based on what you've learned and have agreed is your truth. Does that make sense? So I'm a product of what my parents taught me. Adele had asked me if I grew up, um, in the year 1700, do you think I would still have the same beliefs about women? And I'm like, probably not, probably (laughs) not. It was a lot different back then or about racism or about, uh, equal rights or whatever. Like we grow up and we learn things based on our domestication. Okay. That makes sense to you. Yeah. 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 Um, she also asked if I grew up, if I was born in the exact same day, exact same time, but to a couple in, in Asia somewhere, do you think you would have lived the same life that you live today? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like it would just be a different culture. Different cultures believe different things. So they teach their kids or they teach young people to believe in those things too. I didn't have a choice in my beliefs when I was growing up. Neither did you. Nobody did. We don't choose um, who teaches us. We don't choose what to believe. We just learn it and we accept it and that's just the way it is. So through this process, I started questioning my beliefs and why I believed them. Um, And I started to recognize that I have a choice in what I can, what I believe. And as hard as that was and as, 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 um, I was, there was a lot of resisting, a lot of resistance. And for me, resistance is fear. Uh, when we were resisting things, we're afraid. Doesn't mean that it can't change. It just means that there's fear there somewhere. And I was definitely afraid to change because that's what I knew. Like that's my comfort zone, you know? Um, but yeah, slowly but surely I started to write down my beliefs about everything. And, um, And I started to change them. And that in turn started to change the thoughts. That is what helped me say oops instead of you're an idiot. Yeah. Okay. And I know um, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and you referenced your Yoda. And it might have been in the very first one actually when you talk about that – not necessarily a graph but the diagram she had on her wall of of the three – um, entities. Can you explain those a little bit more and kind of what those mean? Yeah. So I kind of, I said, I referenced it a little bit earlier, but yeah. So when I got into Yoda showed me on her wall, there's like this poster of the self and there was, um, the self was basically described in three things. The first one was the body, then it was the ego, and then it was the spirit, um, or your essence or your instinct or, Um, that little voice, the little voice that's, um, that doesn't really talk. (laughs) (laughs) The ego's the talker. It's the storyteller. The, the little, the little one I like to call the one who's listening. Okay. So if the ego's talking, who's listening? Well, it's that little, the essence of you. Um, so, uh, she asked me like, do you believe you are your, your mind? Do you believe you are your body? 
Like, who do you believe you are? And I, I didn't really know. And I had actually read in a book, it was really interesting because they referenced the same type of thing that was like, I was like, I think I'm my body. I am, this is my body. I am me. I am my body. And this author, he said, well, if I cut off your leg, what does your leg become? Like, is that you? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I guess I'm my brain. I'm like my head. And I, I, I got confused and I was like, I don't know what I am. Um, and so this diagram, she just really, it, for me, it like just perfectly executed that we are all three of those things combined and all three of those live within, within us. Yeah. It's a hard question to answer. Just get <laughs> dropped that like, and <laughs> like, yeah. So how did you, so is that like the answer that she gave you was we are all three of these in conjunction with each other? Yeah. So, um, we, we are, but the, what I started to learn and what I personally believe now is that I am, I am the essence in me. I am the ego. I've learned everything. The ego says all the thoughts in my brain is all learned behavior. That's, that's not me. I wasn't born there. I am like a spirit. Um, I'm energy. I am energy that came from somewhere and it will dispel somewhere. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it's going to go, but there's an energy in me. There's an energy in you. And that is like the essence. So that is where I started to tap into is that inner self and the listener, the, the one that's listening, you know, when, okay, here's an example of the inner self, you know, Okay, this is an example for me. I don't know if you've ever been like driving and you're like, I should slow down. And you like turn the corner and there's like a speed trap. Have you ever ha had something like that happen where you're like, oh, I shouldn't walk down that dark alley. And then, so you don't, but you find out that like there was, I don't know, a, someone got murdered down there that day. You know what I mean? Like there, your, your body, like your body is always talking. You're you're perceiving energy all around you all the time and your essence will sometimes give you those little flags being like don't do that don't go there you know look look up <laughs> uh slow down you know these types of things they it's not a lot of words it's very small and it's up to us or me to recognize when the essence is speaking so what will happen is I'll be exhausted and someone will say, I need you come to this party. I think I've used this example before. Um, and I say, my, my essence says, don't go. It's not in your best. It's not your highest good. It's not in your best interest to do that. But I go anyways, because then the ego's like, well, this person's with you all the time and she always helps you and blah, 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 blah and starts to convince you that's the ego. Okay. But your, your essence has already spoken, won't speak up again. You know, that was kind of like the voice that spoke to me when I looked in the mirror that time when I woke up, I had this awakening and I woke up and it said, what the fuck are you doing? I guess that's more than two words. But uh, <laughs> that was my and that voice that popped up again that said, I need help. That was my essence. So always listen to your instinct. <laughs> yeah, that's and it's a hard thing to do because the 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 
the ego, the storyteller will start to convince you and make you feel guilty or judge you or victimize you for making those decisions. But really that, that first intuition is your, is your, in your highest good to start trusting that. So I did, I've been trusting that more and more and more and more in my life. I can't say that it's every single time, but it is in practice. I can hear it now. Now I recognize that it's there. I hear it. Yeah. It's like incredible that you could have totally just ignored it when it popped up Mm -hmm. in the mirror. You could have just reached for the bottle again and just (laughs) who knows what would have happened. Absolutely. And a lot of people do that. I say uh, it happens all the time, all the time. People know they're in bad relationships. People know they're abusing their bodies. They know they should be that they're lying or cheating or, you know, putting bad energy out there. They know and they choose not to. It's really interesting. We are all 100% responsible for ourselves. And that's a hard lesson to learn. And it's, we want to blame the world or blame our partners or our friends. But ultimately, we are responsible for our emotions and our reactions and our beliefs and our thoughts, period. So how do you, because yeah, I I definitely agree with you. We are responsible for ourselves and the blame is on us. So kind of back to the self-love and listening to that essence, how do you take responsibility for maybe not living up to your high standards or what you actually want to be doing but also doing that in this positive self-talk way that will actually be Mm -hmm. beneficial to you and get the results you actually desire. Yeah. So it it was a slow process for me. I'm sure people can do this quick, quicker than others. But for me, it took me like several years to start to um, hear the voice and change my beliefs. So what would happen was the, the way I started taking responsibility for myself was I started to when I caught myself, I brought awareness. I was bringing awareness to my thoughts. When I caught myself saying, you're an idiot or you're fat or disgusting, don't eat that pizza, you fat pig, I would say, wait a second. No, like that's not how I speak to myself. And I would change the phrase to something with more compassion. Like, um, I would say you're beautiful and, um, you're such a strong, intelligent woman. Um, um, you need fuel for your body. Let's fuel the body. Uh, things like that. I started to change the dialogue, which changes the vibration within you. Like, it's really interesting. If you like, if you like, just tell yourself that you love yourself in the mirror, you feel good. Like that is a good, positive thing. I never did that. And and changing the thoughts and changing the way I spoke internally and externally, um, it, it started to lift my vibration as a human being. And it helped me to further make good decisions. And it started to help me recognize that my reaction to people is totally 100% because of my wounds in myself. So you never like, you know, people say, Oh, you hurt my feelings so bad. You hurt me. That's like such a common thing for people to say. So 
The reason I would say that is because my ego is hurt and my, my self-importance needs a uh, pick-me-up. So I need to blame someone in order for my self-importance to feel uh, better. So I need to blame you for making me feel this way. However, what's really happening is I have a wound in me that feels fat or ugly and you touched it. You picked the scab and that hurt. So that's my problem. Okay. I've attached, I've created, I've created attachment to what you said and I've taken it personally. And, um, I am, I am in turn attacking you for it. You know, I've heard somewhere there's a really neat, um, little, uh, story of, um, a woman walks down the street and there was a, a bum on the side of the street who was super drunk and completely, you know, insane, triple personality. And he says, Hey lady, you've got a fat ass. And the lady looks at the guy and starts laughing because she sees where it's coming from. And she's like, Oh my God, that guy is crazy and thinks it's hilarious and keeps walking. Well, then her husband says the same thing to her. Hey lady, you have a fat ass. She's devastated completely. She's attached. She's made it personal. It's the exact same message, but she's put an attachment to it because your partner should, she has expectations. She has uh, expectations of how her partner should treat her and that wasn't met and therefore she takes it personally, scratches the wound. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah, yeah. it's so weird, like just how we associate with things and even you can like associate with parts of you that are so, you know they're bad and you don't want to keep those, but you do <laughs> and you get offended when they do get yes. like picked at. Yes, of course. So that is where I started to, to heal. I started to heal those wounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, it's been, it's been an amazing journey. It's been crazy. <laughs> yeah. So what, what are some other really important things that in, maybe in the earlier stages or when you first started hearing the, your essence and this voice more that mm -hmm. was pushing you towards a more positive place and what were some of the things that your Yoda kind of taught you that really stuck out and maybe you still practice or remember today? I would definitely say to take pause. So, um, actually this, this lesson didn't come from Yoda. I, this came from a, a friend. Um, um, I actually used to coach this, this young man on the Alberta team, his dad, who was the CEO of a big company. And we were, out one night and I asked him if I was CEO material <laughs> and he said no <laughs> and I was like what I'm not CEO material and he said no and I'll tell you why it's because you're too emotional and that just triggered like I took that so personally I started crying I was like bawling my eyes I'm like I'm not emotional <laughs> just like wiping the tears off my face anyhow um, I, I, I took that to heart cause I really trusted this person. He, he, I knew what he had said was in my best interest to hear. Like I asked him for that advice and he gave it to me and I, I appreciated it. And so I let it kind of sit for a little bit. And then I discovered that 
I am emotional. I started to see that when someone pissed me off, I would react immediately or I, I reacted in a, in a way that I needed to prove myself all the time to these people. I'm right. And that's kind of just in my personality, that com- that competitive person. And I needed to win and win conversations and win people over and all these different things. But it, I did it through my emotions. And so, um, I, I brought that story to Yoda and she, she helped me to, to take pause. So when I recognize that I'm being triggered, that there's emotion starting to flow in my body to not respond. Now you've probably heard this before, like don't never send an email when you're pissed <laughs> off or whatever. It's kind of, it's exactly the same thing. It's like when someone is confronting you or you feel confronted or you feel attacked or your ego feels attacked, just take a second, take a deep breath, create some space and give yourself some compassion and some time and center yourself before you respond. And it got to a place where um, when someone would really offend me, instead of attacking back or trying to defend myself, I would either walk away or just say, I would like to continue this at another time, or I don't know the answer. I'm sorry. I will get back to you. Um, in something along those lines. So I was creating some space, taking pause and letting the emotion flow through me. Okay. And because it's there and emotions are real. Okay. <laughs> No matter where they come from, they are real and they're coursing through your veins and you need to just like let them go. And there's another analogy. It's like I heard, I think this was on an Oprah podcast actually. Uh, someone was talking about um, a zebra. A zebra gets chased by a lion and is running for its life, has adrenaline coursing through its veins and somehow manages to get away from the lion. And he runs a little bit further, finds a watering hole, shakes it off, and goes back to being a zebra. Okay? In the human capacity, we as human beings get in these situations where hopefully it's not a life or death situation, but we have the adrenaline coursing through our veins We have this crazy life experience of extreme stress to the death and then we can't let it go and we carry it with us for like 50 years and it like, (laughs) it, it changes our life. So I'm, I'm in the practice of recognizing that and trying to shake it off and be that zebra and let it go because yes, it happened, but it's not happening right now any longer. Yeah. And just like you said in the earlier, um, when we first started, how you kind of had that first mess up on that, um, your ski run and that Mm -hmm. derailed everything, even though that was in the past, it's so hard to let go of stuff like that. That's crazy. Yeah. And it took me probably like, I'm going to say 10 years to let that one go. I carried that for a long time. And you know, I, I, and yeah, I just have one. My my computer's gonna die. Can I just oh, go yeah. grab my charger? I'm so of course. Sorry. No, not at all. Just really quick, and just <laughs> take you with me. <laughs> sorry. No, you're good. Okay. Um, okay, going back. <laughs> this is my house. 
to all the listeners who are just listening, <laughs> just uh, take a minute to stretch. Maybe grab some water. <laughs> oh god. Okay, we're back in ten seconds. Oh god. Okay. This is getting worse by the minute. There we go. Okay, where was I? The zebra talk. Yes. Oh, yeah, how we carry things, how we're carrying our, yeah. So it took me, yeah, 10 years, I'd say, to let that one go. And, you know, there are things that I learned as a child that I still can't let go. I don't even know what I'm holding on to. I don't, it's like a belief in me that I'm not worthy. That's like one of the things I blog about the most is my, my sense of worthiness. I just feel as though um, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of the things that I want, of abundance, of success. And that sort of, that's the lesson that keeps presenting itself differently as time goes on. Even recently, I was uh, given um, a really sweet deal through Instagram. So as an influencer, um, and I actually took a, I like leaned back and I was like, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy to get this much money for doing that. Like, why are they paying me that? And I was like, that's where my brain went. Instead of being like, oh my God, I've worked my ass off. I am like killing the game. I am totally connecting with a million people out there and we're sharing our stories and being vulnerable and I, I'm putting in all the time and effort. I've earned that times 20 million. <laughs> I, I go back to that place of, ooh, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. It's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, I saw you talk about how your your comfort zone is that state of unworthiness. And mm -hmm. that's so interesting. Just how do you, now that you've become more aware of this, you know, how do you make sure that, okay, even though this is comfort zone and maybe my fallback when something like this happens, how do I mm -hmm. get out of that and think, nope, this is actually good for me. I am worthy of this. So the stage that I'm at now is practicing, um, living in, in the now actually being present as more, as present as possible. So emotions, deep emotions, they, they all come from the past. Okay. And something that I do very often is I project myself into the future. So I'm always thinking about what's ahead and, and perceiving the future to be better than this moment right now. So, however, this moment, as, as the future comes, it becomes this moment, I'm always in the next moment in the future. Do you, does that make sense? So I'm never actually enjoying this moment. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's where I've been putting a lot of my time is having the awareness of thought and the awareness of belief and changing those because that, that has to change. You know, new people come into our lives and they influence us and they want us to believe what they believe and we do or we don't, we have a choice. Uh, but those like you're, you're learning, we're constantly learning. We're constantly evolving. And with that, our egos are learning and evolving and feeding you new, um, new thoughts. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm constantly working on my awareness of thought and, being in this moment when you're living in the moment there's there's no 
there's, it's, it's, it's just like, there's, there's no stress. <laughs> it's just a beautiful thing. You're experiencing things. And yes, sometimes the moment is, a t- is, 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 rel- is, is challenging, but when you're moving and working through the challenges in the moment, you can get through it. It's when you're, when you're bringing crap from, from way back there or from what you want in the future into the moment or into now that creates further stress, makes things way worse. (laughs) And that's what we're conditioned to do. Like all the media, all the news, everything's about the past or what's going to happen. Fear, fear of the future. Look what happened in the past. It's like all of this stuff that we need to process and we we can't, we can't process that and come out happy the other side. So I just kind of tune that out and hone in on what's happening right now and focus on living in my body and feeling what breathe. Like I do a lot of breathing exercises to bring me into the moment because that is, that's the first place to go. It's like to feel your body, feel yourself breathing, um, doing things like, um, breathing in colors or visualizations, those types of things help you to eliminate the thought. You want to get rid of the thought, have time in your day. And people call this meditation. I call it, I call it meditation, but I like to call it stillness where your mind is still and you give yourself the gift of sitting with your spirit. And it's crazy how, hard it can be to just find 10 minutes to do that like 10 minutes 10 minutes is like an eternity for me i'm talking about 10 seconds like literally it starts with 10 seconds yeah like it really does it and and it's actually not that hard if you if your starting point is five seconds where you can just take an inhale and an exhale and just live in your body and feel your body it feels so good And you start to recognize that just breathing, like taking in deep breaths and filling your lungs and letting it all go is joyous. Like you feel joy. It's all you need to be happy. Yeah. Breathe. It is really. (laughs) And it like, I, I try to meditate every morning as well. And you know, you catch yourself like you're, yeah, you're paying attention to your breath, but then like some thought just creeps in, and then yep. five minutes later, you're just like, oh shit, I've kind of forgot <laughs> what I'm doing right now. Like, um, but yeah, it's amazing, just truly focusing on the breath, or truly just right here, right yeah. now. It's it's impressive how hard that actually can be, but how yeah. like powerful it can be as well. Um, yeah, I really like what you said there, though, that your mind jumps. Oh my God, what was I? What was, what am I doing? Cause that, that is a, a level of awareness. A lot of people wouldn't even be able to catch themselves drifting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that drift and understanding that you're drifting is a, is actually essential. It's an essential step to increasing your awareness of thoughts. So that's really good. Like you're in a good place. You recognize <laughs> that it, that's happening. <laughs> it doesn't happen quickly all the time. Sometimes I do have a little timer. So sometimes the timer goes off. I'm like, Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm supposed to be paying attention to that. Um, But yeah, like, you know, in the morning, I'm doing that. And then I'm just thinking about my day. Like this morning, I was like, I just wanted to get my day started. I had a really hard time just sitting there. I'm like, I need to go. I need to go. Even though I had set aside time to do this. 
mm-hmm. and it's still my mind's already like okay we got to go 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 um yeah but yeah it's incredible so that that's your cue when you recognize that happening just take one breath create some space between that urgency and put yourself ground your feet into the ground and take a breath and it really changes. It changes the pace in which you move and it changes the vibration in your body. When you connect to yourself, you want to connect to your inner spirit and your body, yeah. You've mentioned like the word like vibration a few times before and I noticed you in, I forget if it was an Instagram post on your blog, you mentioned like trying to surround yourself around similar vibrational people. Yeah. Um, can you tell me like what you mean by this? Yeah, sure. So um, I believe that we're attracted to vibration um, that lives within us. We're all, like I said, energy and um, um, inflammatory thoughts, let's call them that, are low vibrational. So gossip, for example, when you're gossiping, and you recognize that you're gossiping about someone, it brings you down. Like it's gossip is a low vibration. Okay. So it actually just like brings down you. It brings down your, <laughs> the vibes you're giving, you know, you know, vibrations are everywhere. People walk into a room and they know something's off right away. They're like, Whoa, what happened in here? Yeah. You know, or, you walk into a room where everyone's happy and you're like smiling all of a sudden, like that energy is pulling you up. Okay. So at an individual level, we have that, um, uh, awareness to feel that vibration as well. It, it's oftentimes felt in group settings, like concerts. It's like crazy when thousands of people come together, the emotion and the vibration in there is crazy. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I think most people do. Um, so when we when we treat ourselves in abusive ways, we're actually lowering our vibration. And then when we treat ourselves in positive, loving ways, we're increasing our vibration. So that's what I, that's what I meant when I said when I was in the hole, I was gathering like-minded people. So I wanted all the people in the hole to hang out with me. And then, um, not that they're bad people. They're all great people. We're all the same. I just was pulling in those people and the, and the, and the ones that are, that used to inspire me, I, 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 I couldn't even face them. I was in such a low place that I couldn't even look up and face them because they were too good for me. Like they were too above me. It's, it's really weird. That's how I was thinking back then. Now, as I'm lifted up, I, and pulling people with higher vibrations around me. And that is actually, so my friends, um, I dropped off a lot of friends um, in this process. And it's not like I dropped them off. I grew, we grew apart. We don't have the same things in common anymore. It's like the two guys sitting at the bar drinking beers every day. And one guy decides to quit alcohol. Well, they still sit beside each other. But eventually the guy who's not drinking doesn't care anymore about getting drunk and about talking about the same things over and over again. He wants to do new things and expand his life and start creating something new in his life. So he moves on. The guy still drinking says, what the fuck? Like, fuck you then get out of my life. You know, like it's just, you grow apart when, when things change. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. 
So now I hang out with like entrepreneurs and people who inspire me and, and, and actually support me and lift me up. I have, this is very new for me. I've always sort of surrounded myself. I was always kind of like this driven person, but, um, it's really nice to feel supported and to feel, um, you know, that I have so much in common with other women, like powerful women and to support them instead of feeling jealous of their success or envious. I, I thrive by like watching them grow and, and become CEOs and open their own businesses. And that's a, a really cool place to be is, is in this vibration where we're all in this together, you know? Yeah. It's like you're on the same frequencies and it's like you're on the same frequency. Yeah. Like you've probably heard people like att- want to attract like-minded people. It's very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you think it's possible if, if you're not on that same frequency with them to have those feelings of like admiration and support and, I really hope they do well genuinely instead of jealousy and envy or anything. Yeah, I do. I mean, I mean, anything's possible. I, I oftentimes like I can, and when it comes to relationships, when, when there's turmoil in a relationship, I, this was an analogy that was given to me once. It's like climbing the ladder of life. So if you're climbing the ladder right beside your partner and, um, as you're climbing up, when you look over at your partner, is he or she right beside you? Are you looking up to them or are you looking down to them? Okay. So, um, in some of my relationships in the past, I was looking down and it doesn't mean that I'm better than them. And by any means, it just means I'm on a different level spiritually in my brain than where that person is. Does that make sense? And this, like, it doesn't, like I said, make them a bad person or anything like that. It just, it's just perspective, I guess. And it doesn't mean that I don't love that person and that they're not great. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're just on different levels of being in a way, not one's better than the other, just different. Exactly. It's just different. It's a different level of almost, I consider vibration to be a little bit of a spiritual, um, thing to tap into. Um, it doesn't mean that if you're not spiritual, you can't feel it. Um, but yeah, I, as I'm growing up and uh, up in vibration and older, I, I do recognize more and more that we are all the same. Um, human beings, we are, we are all human being <laughs> in this world. <laughs> and it's, and it's, yeah. We're all the same. Yeah. I forget. Um, it might have been Eckhart Tolle, actually, or someone else. Yes, I'd, he says that, too. Yeah, yes. and is he the one who says, like, even if you think you have nothing in common with someone, understand that you still have death in common with them. Like, we're all <laughs> going to die someday. So even if there's someone who you hate, you think yeah. you have absolutely nothing, just, hey, you're still both going to die, so at least you share that. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I think it is him. I don't know exactly, but I, I know. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's so true. It's, it's so true. We, yeah. And, and the other thing we all have in common is suffering. Like 
pain is pain and suffering is suffering. And the world teaches us that, you know, we're alone in our pain and that no one else feels this way or no one else has ever felt this way. And that's a load of bullshit because pain is pain and suffering is suffering and you're not alone. No one's ever alone. It's, it's being open to accepting that and accepting help and accepting love into your life and accepting light into your being when there's darkness. Yeah. It's easy to stay in the dark. We like the dark. The dark is all around us. Bringing in the light is, is, you know, we need to allow that to happen. In order to do that, we need to accept who we are. Yeah. And it's scary, like, because back to identity, you know, if you've identified as that kind of dark, sad person all the time, even though, yeah, maybe going into the light or this mm -hmm. more positive place for you, even though you know that's going to be better, that's still scary as hell because you're leaving everything that you've yes. known about life behind, even though it's a shitty way to possibly go through life, it's still how you've navigated so far. 100%. That's the whole thing. It's like... <laughs> How do you get out of the comfort zone? You like at one point, if you can, I, I, I feel if you keep filling your cup and telling yourself, if you wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I love you, like literally and five things that are great about you. I actually did this awareness challenge at the beginning of January. And the first challenge was to, to write down five things you love about yourself and people couldn't do it they had a really hard time doing it. And I don't blame them. I don't, I'm not, no judging whatsoever. I already went through this process and I couldn't do it back in the time where it, now I can do it. There's lots of things I love about myself and I am not uh, embarrassed or ashamed to say those things to the world because I've worked hard for that. And and we should celebrate what we're good at and we should celebrate our bodies and celebrate who we are. Like, I don't understand why we need to keep so quiet about all of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so if you tell yourself that you love yourself, then over time you'll, your comfort zone lifts, like your vibration will start to lift and that comfort zone, you, you'll, you might get the courage to step out of it for a moment so you can see the other side. For one second, it just takes these little glimpses and it, with enough glimpses, then you'll leap, you know? Yeah. And that just that vulnerability and willingness to do that is almost seen sometimes as a weakness. Like yes. if you were to be like, I have no freaking idea what's going on right now. I'm in this terrible place. And it's like <laughs> it's opening up like that. I mean, one, that's hard to do. And two, it's just like, you know, admitting that you're in that stage is seen as a weakness in some sort which is pretty screwed up because really that's the opposite you know to actually open mm -hmm. up like that that takes a lot of courage and strength and be willing to kind of bury your soul or your essence um, mm -hmm. and so how I guess to start doing that you know what are some good ways to maybe build up that confidence or you know is it if you are surrounded by people who maybe you don't feel comfortable opening up like that, which I'm sure there are many people out there who don't wouldn't feel comfortable having a conversation like this with someone they consider a good friend. 
um, what are some ways that you can start to go towards that openness? Well, it's definitely baby steps. I mean, I had that egg timer moment, that bing where I woke up and I, I, that might, some people might operate better that way where they like have these big aha moments. But honestly, to build up to that, it is baby steps. It's taking pause. It's telling yourself you love yourself. It's, it's becoming aware of your thoughts um, and starting to change them, change the dialogue, change the story, recognize what's the loop. What's your loop? Like I, the loop is that story you always tell yourself. I was actually, I, I have a friend, a good friend actually, um, who's going through some stuff. And every single time I talk to her, she says the same story and it's like, Ooh, that's her loop. And I, and I called her out on it and she defended herself. So it was really interesting because she, didn't want to recognize that she has a loop because that was a, I, I picked the scab in her when I said <laughs> that, which wasn't the right approach for me. I recognize it, but now she's starting to see that that is her story. So she's starting to be able to change it. We can't change what we don't know is there. Like we can't change the things we don't realize exists within us. So, and that ego, man, whoo. <laughs> it's defends to the death it will defend to the death it like it hates losing and the only thing that really silences that is pause is breathing it's living in the now the ego does not live in the now the ego is the past it's the future it's the judge it's judging it's victimizing you so you're either judging someone else or yourself or you're victimizing yourself that's the ego so I, I listened to your podcast specifically on ego saying like, is ego your enemy? Um, yeah. one, have you read ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday? No. no? Okay. No. That's a, good. Yeah. It's, have you heard of Ryan holiday before? No. Okay. No. So he's real quick bio. He's a author kind of like stoic philosophy. If you've heard of that. Okay. And one of his main points is this ego and how it's basically, if he goes through examples throughout history of people who were successful and in a good place and how pretty much their entire life or what they were doing was ruined because of their ego mm -hmm. and just how we all live not to ones of that extremes, but we mm -hmm. all live with that and it can totally derail us and cause this pain and suffering in our life. Mm -hmm. um, but so, yeah, so ego is the enemy. And so maybe from this podcast you just did and some of the other things you've learned about ego where if you've never separated yourself from your ego and right now it's if you're listening to this and you're thinking they're talking crazy right now <laughs> even though that might be your ego like <laughs> yeah um what are some other good ways along with that pausing to start to destruct it and it grows as you become more aware of it like mm -hmm. at least from my own um, experience like have you felt like it's grown with you and your elevation in your own essence uh yeah well it's evolving it morphs it defends so yeah in a lot of ways honestly Eckhart Tolle he says this the best um he and I may have already said this in this in this podcast with you today is like putting space between the thought like putting space between the thought that is 
um, how you can start to separate yourself from the ego and recognizing that that voice is not you. It's not who you are. It's just your knowledge. People reference it as the voice of knowledge, the, the storyteller. Um, and, uh, again, like self love, compassion, um, and changing the dialogue and, um, uh, taking like a, your reactions. Like I think in my podcast, I talk about in that podcast about the ego is the ego, your enemy. Um, I talk about how I was going through some pretty like traumatic stuff. I had expectations. I was going on a trip or I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, things didn't go my way. And <laughs> in the past when things don't go my way, I get real fiery and I get really upset and I start looking for people to blame and I start reacting and it and it creates this emotional and chemical response inside my body and it takes a long time to like let that go. I get really pissed off. Uh, however, in this particular uh, example that I was giving in the podcast was I recognized that that was starting to happen. So my ego was starting to fuel my emotion and what I did was I took pause. Like I started to use the skills I've learned meditating and let let the experience just be what it it is and i was living in the now and i actually yeah it was it was it was so far not the reaction that i normally have that i i like that my ego was just like what the heck's happening well okay i guess we don't care about that anymore let's move on to the next thing like it was just <laughs> it's just like it is just it was so, so great. So I'm starting to really, um, experience all the work that I've done and all the knowledge that I know I'm actually starting to walk the talk. Okay. In my own life. And, uh, and it's wonderful. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what you're doing a lot now with your blog and some of your helping of, with other people and helping them get out of this period where they feel like they're stuck. Yes. So uh, for me, and I believe this is, this is, this is pretty true to, to most people. It's easy to recognize things in other people. It's much harder to recognize when it's happening in yourself. You need to have a lot of awareness and a lot of, you know, um, self-compassion because we don't, we see ourselves, we want to be perfect all the time. And when, our, our ego pretends we're perfect all the time. And when we're not, it's not happy. So, but we can identify it in others. So it, it does kind of start there. And, uh, for me, I, instead of telling people what to do, I'm not the type of, I don't like telling people what to do. Um, I like telling people what I'm doing and giving them the choice to try it, to do it or not. So everyone is responsible for themselves. Like I said, um, I find if someone asks for my help, even my advice, like a lot of the time I just give personal example and say, okay, well, this is how I did it. You have a choice now. You can do it like that or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm doing in my blogs is I, I, I'm very vulnerable. I like put it all out there. I'm like, this is how this happened. This is what I did today. This is how it unfolded or, um, like, my last one, I, I just talked a little bit about uh, body image and how to how to meditate and find stillness and what that does in my body. 
I never say what it will do in your body because I have no idea what it's going to do in your body. And I wouldn't want to assume that what's helping me is helping you. We're like everybody is at a different level, right? So there's some people listening to this that might think we're completely insane. Other people might be just like soaking it all in because they're ready to hear it, right? So not everyone's ready. Okay. And so what have, what's been some of the response you've gotten from people, either from your podcast or your blog, when you are opening up like this? It's, it's awesome. Um, well, when I first started, um, which was, I'm going to say two years ago, I started blogging on my Instagram. Um, and it was, there were shorter stories, but I was, I was divulging a little bit more about my life about two years ago. Um, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people were doing that on Instagram two years ago. Maybe they were, (laughs) but just not really like within my community or my field because I am an outdoor advocate. Like I talk all the time about connecting with nature and being outside and doing things outside. So my entire feed is me in beautiful places doing amazing things. Like that's what I live for. I live to make those connections. And I find nature is the easiest way. It's, it's, the natural vibes around it's so easy to connect to your essence when you're in those areas. So that's kind of why I like where I started with Instagram. And then when I started blogging, people were kind of taken aback, but now I've kind of developed this community of trust. Like people really know me, you know, the no like and trust factor that everyone's looking for on Instagram. That's what I've developed by being so open. Some people think I'm crazy. Some people sexualize uh, me. Um, Some people take things to the next level, but I would say like 90% is very positive. People are making better decisions um, with their life and they're telling me about it and I love it. Like I get, I get direct messages every single day from people like, telling me their success stories. I had some, like a couple people, um, I started running marathons. A, a lady just told me she ran her first marathon and she told me how it was. And I was like, Oh my God, she came out of nowhere. She's like, I just needed to tell you that I ran my first marathon. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. It's so cool. Like I'm making the raddest connections with like all these people all over the world. And like, it's, it's the best, it's the best feeling. It's the best feeling. That's awesome. And I love that like so much of today you and myself included, I kind of bash Instagram sometimes and more mm-hmm. so of it just being a distraction. Yeah. Um, you know, the times where I'm sitting here trying to do work and then I pick up my phone and suddenly <laughs> 10 minutes have gone by and I'm like, uh, why am I scrolling through Instagram for the third time in these 10 minutes? So I yeah. bash it for that. But to have this, to be able to make those connections and network of people from yeah. people you've never met, you know, that is why social media I think is so great and to yes. be able to form that. But it's a very hard line to walk. Um, and I know a lot of the stuff you do, you do, you talk about loving kind of social media and helping people out with their own pages and the pages you manage. How yeah. have you walked that line? Oh, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a tightrope. It's a fine line. That's for sure. I mean, uh, I've had to check myself many times. Uh, Essentially, my job now is my main job is within social media. So I help small business in Ottawa in my town start their social media platforms. 
it became such an interest to me a couple years ago when I started my Instagram account that I, and I excelled in it pretty quickly. Um, and sort of figuring out sort of, um, how to, I don't want to say be successful on Instagram. Cause I don't think that's, I don't think that's what I want to say. I don't know how to say it though. Anyways, I, I figured it out. I figured out some things and created my own business, but I'm also a creative person. So like I have vision and I pay attention and, um, I see trends before other people realize their trends and things like that. So I incorporate those into my business. Um, so when I'm, when I, my phone tells me I've been on my phone for seven hours in a day, I need to throw that thing out the window. Like there's, <laughs> there's a breaking point for sure. Like I have had some physical, um, like headaches, my eyes start twitching really oddly. Like I get really irritable and that was, um, I was in denial that that was because of my job and about being on my phone. But so I had to like take a step back, take pause and like recognize that I need to, you know, down, I need to chill out on my phone. So I don't spend that much time on my personal account anymore for that reason, which I'm okay with. It's not like growing super huge anymore, but I'm still like writing and doing the creative work behind the scenes. And then the posts are like once a week now. Um, and that just allows me to, you know, fulfill my job requirements that I really love doing working with these clients. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And when you're, this is something I talked about with Julian a little bit too, just being that open and vulnerable on this site that anyone can judge you on. Yeah. Um, like, and I guess the question I actually want to go into is, with your podcast and your blog, when you are going through some of your past and this very dark and tough time in in your life, how has that been difficult at all for you? And like, how have you been able to express it in the way that you have been able to do so well? Um, well, for the podcast, I typically have sort of an outline of things I want to touch on. Um, I, uh, for example, like I talk about my divorce. It's called the episode's called "Till Death Do Us Part," and I, and I talk about sort of the beginning to the end of my relationship with my ex-husband and why it happened. Um, so I have like talking points, and you know, most most of the time when I'm when I'm podcasting, it's because I've healed a part of me in a lot of ways. So speaking about it is it comes from a place of like love inside of me. It's not coming from that dark place still. So it definitely has a different tone than it would if I was like in it. You know what I mean? I think I just did a podcast recently where I was in a bad place. <laughs> yeah. I, I think yeah. that might've been like your one of the last two you yeah, talked about. Yeah. You just got back from Australia and you're like, yeah. I'm doing this now and I'm kind of in this spot. Cause I probably won't if I don't do it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was actually, that got a lot of really positive response because I was actually in the thick of, of the down feeling. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely try to teach, not teach, but share the lessons that I've learned 
And I, I believe the only way to do that is to be authentic and to tell the story like it is. So if I leave out parts, it's for other people's because it's other people's business. I don't bring other people's business into my podcast. In fact, when I do even the till death do us part episode, I'm very respectful of my ex. I mean, he's a person too. And we take, I've taken equal responsibility in that relationship uh, for what happened. And I say that in the podcast as well, but, um, but yeah, I just think it's no bullshit. People see through the bullshit so fast and yeah, maybe there it's all bells and whistles at the beginning, but once you like get to know someone, you know, they're full of shit, then, then they, then it means nothing. Their message isn't as strong. It's like, who cares? You know? Yeah. It's some, it's like, it's more admirable and more, you can connect to someone more because you know you're going probably through something similar and even yeah. though it kind of admires someone to have the courage to do that and be like, hey, you're the only person I know who's ever actually talked about this. Maybe <laughs> it's safe to come to you and talk about this because I know you <laughs> won't judge me for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's in- it's interesting because like on, I hear some people on podcasts and I, I hear I see people all the time on Instagram trying to be something that they're not. Which, you know what, there's a place and a space in the world for that. Like, that's everywhere. I don't connect to that. And I want people to be following me and growing up with me and going through life with me. And if they, if I'm trying to be something that I'm not, people see through it. So that's one of my biggest, my biggest things is to make sure that I structure all the topics as authentically as possible and don't, like don't leave anything out. Everything has to go on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to put all the frequencies out and make sure you attract <laughs> yes. them. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. what is, um, like, now with identity today mm-hmm. in, in your life now, it, what, like, what are your thoughts now on identity? Do you, you know, you're an entrepreneur now and you're running mm-hmm. your own business and your own blog and podcast, like, do you associate now with one of these paths or like, what are your thoughts now on your identity? Um, well, through the work that I've done, I've started to really understand that labels that we give ourselves are the work of the ego, just trying to rank yourself against other people in the world or, um, I don't know if you've noticed this before. I have actually heard this in a podcast. I couldn't tell you which one, but um, they were talking about how when you meet someone, you always ask like, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm a doctor. Oh, you're a doctor. Oh, you're, you're, you're immediately better or worse than me. You know what I mean? Like you're higher than me. You're smarter than me. Like the ego is constantly through our labels. We're attaching significance to it. So you're either inferior or, or, or not. Um, So when it comes to my identity, that is uh, something that I kind of have been rebuilding through the last several years and trying to understand why I attach myself to certain labels versus others. Like, yeah, uh, you could call me runner, you could call me entrepreneur, you could call me podcaster, you could call me adventurer, you could call me influencer, you can call me woman, you know? But those all have different meanings to different people. It's yeah, it's a word, but what the word I think I use this somewhere. What the word mother means 
to you versus to me is different, right? So we all kind of know what a mother is, but like, I think I say something like, what's a good mother? What's a good mother to you? Okay. You might have different things on the list than I do, right? Or does mother mean I need to bear a child? Like, do I have to have pregnant and give birth to be a mother or, or not? Right. So people like have different, it's subjective. All words, all labels are subjective and we rank them differently in our lives according to our domestication. So yes, I give labels to people when I'm talking about who I am, but really I am some sort of, (laughs) I am some sort of life force here for an experience. I am a human being is like kind of like the label that I like to use the most (laughs) because I am. I'm just a human being. Yeah. And something you mentioned that just sparked another thought in my head, um, kind of that domestication that we talked about earlier. And um, in your about page, you talk about kind of having to unlearn things. And you're getting throughout your life all this information and beliefs and that you now take and hold as yours and to have to totally shift those around and unlearn them. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about this process of unlearning? Yeah. Um, so like I said earlier, we learn all this stuff. We're sponges. Look at kids these days. Like they can learn like multiple languages and they don't even know it. Like they're watching, they're observing, they're learning behaviors, they're watching actions. It's not just the things that they say that they know. They're watching how the world works and they're learning from all of these things. It's like a sponge. They don't really have a choice to what they're exposed to, like I said. So um, the unlearning process is that letting go of the attachment to my belief about something. That's essentially what it is. And in order to do that, I, I, again, I was writing down what my beliefs were about, I don't know, religion is a really good example. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, I was born to believe that if I sinned, I would go to hell. And if I was a good girl, I would go to heaven. I, and there's nothing against religion at all. I know there's a lot of religious people out there and I respect them. But for me, I started to question things like, um, if God is all forgiving, why is there a hell? Okay, and I started asking these questions at like a fairly, you know, adult age, and I couldn't really come up with an answer that made sense to me. And so my beliefs about what God is or who God is or what sins are just started to kind of shift from that textbook, kids, this is Christianity, this is being a Catholic this is what you need to do to go to heaven. Cause I was afraid I wouldn't sin. Cause I would, I would go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> you know, there was like a fear there. And then after I started questioning it, I started to unlearn those patterns and behaviors. So that was kind of the, the beginning of it is just to really recognize what you believe in the first place, how you respond to those beliefs. And do you actually believe them? Do you actually believe it? Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay (laughs) to change. That's the thing. It's okay to change your belief. You don't have to stay on, on, you don't have to stay in the box that you were born into. You can open it and step out of it. And 
you can always come back. It's it's okay. Like, yeah. Unless you're Amish and you leave after <laughs> Rumspringa. <laughs> well, religion is such a controversial topic, so I don't really like want to get into it too deeply. Yeah. But like, I because I do respect a lot of like I almost think awareness and and talking about that space and that stillness is a little bit of a religion in itself because it's like a belief on what brings you peace of mind. Like there's a lot of things about the religion I grew up in that was amazing. Like the community, the people, the love, the support within the church, like all of those things are great. But there was just some things that I really questioned about it. And actually it was within the religion that um, started the first shift in my belief systems. I was like the first like aha moment almost that I was like, Oh, I don't actually believe that anymore. And I'm still alive and that's okay. And I am an awesome person and I love myself. So <laughs> yay. <laughs> yeah. So um, other than kind of your Yoda, who have been some other people that have been really influential in your life up to this point and helping you get to where you are today? That's a really good question. Um, I think my family and my mom and my sister who have are working through their own shifts but they've allowed me the space to work through mine. That's really inspirational when you have like family support that doesn't necessarily like at the time they didn't really understand what I was going through and, but they allowed me the space. So I like looked up to them and wanted to be with them. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Um, I also have some really, really great friends that I've been friends with for over 25 years. Like my two best friends, Amber and Jen, I have like six super best friends. And, uh, from, from high school, they're all super successful, um, entrepreneurs and just really, really great people. And so I look up to them. Otherwise, um, I find, I love Don Miguel Ruiz. He's a, he's an author. He wrote the book, the four agreements and the four agreements is essentially my Bible. I've read it like 20 times. I love him so much. Like I, if there's any book that I would ever recommend, it is the four agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. He's amazing. Eckhart Tolle, Oprah Winfrey, those types of people that are thinking outside the box and like connecting to your inner spirit and living in the now, those types of messages, that's what I gravitate towards. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's it's great to have those outside sources and as well as yeah. those people so close to you who you can mm -hmm. go back to. Um, well, we're getting pretty close here to the uh, the two-hour mark. It's flowing yeah. by. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> it's always like I check the timer. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what? Um, so, <laughs> oh try, yeah, <laughs> I'll try to kind of wrap things up here just for mm -hmm. uh, the sake of listeners and everyone. Um, but – I one of the things that blew my mind was kind of in the the pre doc I sent you. You just casually dropped the fact that you're run seven marathons. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so what else is like on your docket right now? You know, obviously you know living in the moment, but you still have to look towards the future in some way to kind of plan and figure out the direction you want to go to. So you know, for you, what is it the area you kind of wanted to go into with your business or your general life and you know, what's on the horizon for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, that it comes back to like my worthiness. Um, I struggle with where I want to develop 
right now. Like I feel I'm in my comfort zone, but I also feel like there's a shift coming. So I have, um, some really cool ideas about some courses that I'm developing. Um, I have, I, I want to keep working in social media and, and keep with the small business. I love working with small businesses, but I've also started to connect to some really cool people on Instagram. And I really want to see where that leads because there's a kind of a movement here and, um, and, you know, the more people involved, like Julian, he's a great example. Like when I met that guy, like we were two people living on opposite ends of the country in Canada. And like, we actually met face to face and we were like, we, it came together and we're like like-minded and he's super ambitious and has all these amazing plans and goals and loves people and connecting. And I'm the same, but like on an introverted level, it's really interesting. People are like, you're an introvert. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I am. I'm really good on -on one-on-one conversation, but like, uh, in groups, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) anyways, it was just, it's just like a really cool thing. So I want to keep working with like people like that and I don't know I don't know what's in the future for me and I'm okay with that (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) just focus on the moment then focus on the moment exactly cool um is is there anything I haven't asked today or that we haven't really gotten into that you'd like to bring up or kind of talk about a bit more I don't know (laughs) I think we I think we I think we nailed it <laughs> yeah, I think we had a good good range of topics and uh got into some good stuff. So um yeah. really appreciate you being so open and be willing to bear your story and and everything with all of us because there's that's cannot be easy and to do that repeatedly as well. So really appreciate that. Um, Thank you so much for having me. This was this is awesome. Very yeah. cool. And Very where cool. is the best place for people to find you or to reach out if they want to say hello or just say Loved your podcast or you're a crazy person, <laughs> didn't know anything you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my uh, my Instagram is probably the best place to connect with me. Uh, just uh, for anybody, it's uh, at Elisa Curry Lowitz. I guess you'll spell it out there. Yeah, I'll so. link that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my podcast is Elisa Unfiltered, Living Life Out Loud. And you can find that on iTunes or Google Play or my website, which is elisaunfiltered.com. And that's E-L-I-S-A, unfiltered.com. Yeah. Great. Cool. Check her out, everyone. Follow her. Thank you so much. (laughs) And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time. Hey, everyone. Lee here again real quick with the question of the episode, which is... What is an identity you've held at some point that was either taken away from you or you had to leave behind? This could be something like a profession, an association with an emotion, or something else you were, like a skier in Elisa's case. Head to edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP25, that's the numbers 25, and leave your answer or story in the comment section at the bottom of the post. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to reading your answers. Cheers!